Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? Let's give it up for Stranger Things. All right, how many of you actually are like, yes, that's my show. That's my jam right there. All right, cool. The rest of you are like, what are we watching horror movies in church for? Well, it's not a movie. It's a TV show, so there. We, we took a little bit of a, a, a side ramp here on doing a TV show because this one's just so cool, and I think it's every bit a summer blockbuster. How many of you have been enjoying this series, getting something out of the, me- the messages and the movies we've been watching? And Anybody? Cool. Yeah, we're having a good time with this. So in the show Stranger Things, if you kind of pick up some of what's going on, there's a, an alternate dimension. Uh, they call it the upside down, the veil of shadows, this, this place, this reality that's happening uh, aligned with and alongside of the natural reality, but it's unseen and it's apart from what they can perceive and, and touch and see. And I know that it's kind of like this creepy, what's going on, this unseen world, but it's so Uh, close to and in such a close parallel to the way that reality actually works in the real world. And so we're going to talk all about the unseen world, the the spiritual battle that's taking place all around us and and uh, talk about that today. So I'm excited. I believe God's going to speak to us. I believe we're all going to walk out of here encouraged and equipped to uh, do everything that God's called us to do and be who he's called us to be. But I want to start by talking about our culture is so interested in the paranormal. How many of you are like, yeah, I'm interested in the paranormal, things that go bump in the night. Nobody admits it, right? Come on. Well, I want to read you some statistics here in just a second. But did you know that 15 million people, predominantly in the United States, tuned in to the premiere of Stranger Things 2? 15 million people, which is about one out of every 20 people actually tuned in to watch when the second season of this came out. I was one of them. Because I'm fascinated by the unseen, by the, that kind of eerie, like what's going on beneath the surface kind of a thing. But listen, I want to read you some statistics, lest you think that like, well, no, nobody really believes in this kind of stuff. Uh, you can find this stuff, paranormal belief statistics. 55% of Americans believe that ancient and advanced civilizations such as Atlantis once existed. 55%. Now, I'm not a mathematician, but I think that's more than half. Am I right? I'm so glad we got that 0.3, otherwise I wasn't going to believe it. 52.3% of people believe that places can be haunted by evil spirits. I'm a believer in this. I got three kids. (laughs) So I know, man, places get haunted by evil spirits. Absolutely. That's a joke for all the overly religious folks here today. (laughs) The pastor's so rude about his kids. I love my kids. I took them to a movie yesterday. All right, uh, the third one here, 35% of Americans believe aliens have visited Earth in our ancient past. You ever seen that guy with the freaky hair on the History Channel? (laughs) That guy is a paranormal event. He's like, listen, everybody, aliens haven't come here uh, thousands of years ago. And people that believe in him, obviously your your credulity is being tested there. But 35% believe aliens have visited Earth in our ancient past. 26.2% believe aliens have come to Earth in modern times. 25% of people believe that some individuals can move objects with their mind. Telekinetic powers, pretty trippy. 19.4% of people believe that fortune tellers and psychics can foresee the future. The only psychic I believe in is Lady Cleo. You ever seen Lady Cleo? She's like the infomercial psychic. Anybody? No, okay, I don't really believe. Thank you guys, appreciate that. Crowd participation prize for the folks in the back. But believe fortune tellers and psychics can foresee the future. Now, this is 19.4% of the, percent of the people that actually admit it, right? Because these people had to actually say, yes, I do believe in this. A lot of people, I'm sure, were like, I don't believe in it. Hey, Lady Cleo. 
is he going to marry me? You know, right? Believing in this. And then 16.2% of people believe that Bigfoot is a real creature. And I'm one of them. Any Bigfoot believers in here? Anybody? Some of you are like, I'm not going to fess up. He's real. All right, so Bigfoot, uh, I believe, probably in this room, it's like half of us because we live in the Pacific Northwest, right? Everybody's like, my uncle saw him up here in the woods and, uh, you know, believe that Bigfoot is a real creature. But why am I bringing all this stuff up? Well, just to say that we live in this culture, it's so interesting. We, we, our culture is kind of bipolar because we've embraced what's known as philosophic naturalism, which is the idea, like Carl Sagan said, that the cosmos is all there is and was and ever will be that the natural world is all that there is and it's a closed system and there's no interference or interaction with the spiritual or anything outside of the plane of, of what we call tangible reality, natural reality, that which we can interface with, with our, interact with, with our five senses, right? Our, our tangible senses, smell it, touch it, taste it, those kinds of things. And our culture has embraced this idea of naturalism and rejected the idea of a God, uh, of a devil, of angels, of demons. And yet half of the people believe, or 35% of people believe in aliens. They accept that. So it's very interesting that our culture has this fascination with the paranormal, this fascination with the, with the things that go bump in the night, with ghosts and, and hauntings and ancient aliens and all this kind of stuff. And yet we've embraced this idea of philosophic naturalism. And there's a reason for that. I don't have time to go fully into it today. But we are drawn to, as a culture, we're drawn to the spiritual. We're drawn to the paranormal. Why? I believe the reason for this is because you and I are not just creatures of bone and DNA and biology. We're not just sacks of water and blood dancing to the tune of our DNA. I believe that we are uh, hybrid beings, that we are immaterial and material. There's a flesh part of us. There's a physical part of us, but there's also a soul and a spirit, that we are creatures of eternity, that we were made by a spiritual being, made by God himself, and that there's a part of us that isn't just our eating and drinking and sleeping self. Are you with me? And so that part of us resonates with this idea that there's an unseen world, that there's more to life than meets the eye. And this gets expressed in all types of different ways. When somebody sings a song and someone recognizes that song is beautiful, they're not just making a statement about, of science, making a statement of, well, the, the, the sound waves interacted with my inner ear canal and resonated at such a frequency that I found it to be pleasant, right? That, when we talk about beauty, when we talk about things that are transcendent, when we talk about great love stories and, you know, these people got married and they were married for 60 years and, oh, and we talk about love and all these types of things, they go beyond the, the, the merely biological. They go into this other place, this unseen place, the part of us that is immaterial. So we resonate with those echoes of eternity, with that spiritual world. It's why people are so fascinated. Now, I don't believe in everything that people believe, and there's a lot of paranormal stuff out there. Believe me, I like looking into that kind of stuff. And I'll tell you a story about that in a second, but it doesn't mean it's all true. What it means though, is that there's a hunger and a thirst to connect with that part of us, right? Because again, living in a world in which says, no, that there is nothing outside of the natural, that, that world becomes very bleak, doesn't it? If all you are is time plus slime plus chance, and you're just dancing to the tune of your DNA, and you're hoping that you won the DNA lottery and that you're not going to get a horrible disease when you're 40 or have you know, a brain tumor when you're 30 or whatever that comes out to for you, life is very bleak if all that there is is this natural world, okay? So I'm gonna stop there. I, I get really caught up in this whole thing and I'll leave it there, but we understand this and we, our hearts cry out to connect. It says in the, in the scriptures that uh, God has placed eternity within our hearts. 
that we long for this, this transcendent reality, this beyond what meets the eye, beyond that which we can interface with and interact with just in a natural sense. We long for that spiritual connection. We long to understand. We long to peer into that. The mysteries of life and death, the mysteries of love, the mysteries of art, all these different types of things that don't necessarily occupy a place within our natural reality. Are you with me? So I love creepy stuff. <laughs> That's a transition right there. I love creepy stuff. Like, to me, I don't like to be freaked out, but I like to be like a little bit freaked out. Anybody with me? Like Stranger Things is about my level of being scared. Anything beyond that and I'm out. But you know, how many of you know there's this amazing show that takes place on the radio between 10 o'clock at night and 2, p- and 2 a.m. It's called Coast to Coast AM. Any coasters in the house? Come on, coasters. Yes. Yes. I love Coast to Coast AM. Not because it will enrich your spirit. It won't. Not because you're going to learn something that's true. You probably will not. But you will hear people from God knows where in the South calling in saying, yeah, I was out there in the cornfield. Ed and I were out there. And I swear to God, I saw this UFO came out of nowhere. And that thing's there. And they did unspeakable things to my brother. And uh, you know what I mean? And you're like, oh my goodness. And you hear all these kind of things. We'll leave that one alone. You know, you, you hear all this type of stuff. They talk about ancient aliens. They talk about demons. They talk about ghosts and all this kind of stuff. So it's like freaky stuff. And if you're driving on the highway, like between 10 and two, it's you get to be freaked out listening to Coast to Coast. Come on. So I went through a phase in life where I was really into Coast to Coast, not because I believed in it. I mean, it was purely entertainment. I maybe believed in a little bit. So I was listening to it quite a bit. And I remember one night I, I tuned it in. I was listening to it. It was like maybe 11 or 12, uh, you know, at night and Bethany was laying next to me and we're in bed and I'm listening to Coast to Coast. And I had it turned down kind of quiet, which makes it even more scary, right? If you have to like lean in to listen and I was really fascinated because on this episode of Coast to Coast, they were interviewing these people that were doing the EVP, extra voice phenomena, you know, ghosts, basically. It's like real life ghostbusters, totally legit. These guys weren't phonies like the rest of them. But anyways, (laughs) these guys were recording allegedly spiritual beings, ghosts, whatever, talking, which right away is scary. Okay, so I'm listening here. It's late at night. I'm in bed. Bethany's asleep. And all of a sudden they they're going to play the tape, the recording of this ghost. And it's this horrible, dusty, scratchy old woman voice. And, she, and it goes, get out. And I'm laying in bed, <laughs> petrified. <laughs> My wife puts her hand over, <laughs> says, Jake, yeah, turn it off. Yep. <laughs> I turned it off. <laughs> That moral of the story, guys, is always listen to Coast to Coast with somebody else that can pull you out when you need them. <laughs> I was fascinated. I wanted to hear the voice, and it terrified me. But what was going on? I was listening to this. Why? Because, because we resonate with this stuff. Now, we can act like, ah, the loony people, the loony bins that believe in aliens, and the crazy people that believe in Bigfoot, like our pastor, and, you know, all these other people that are insane. But there's something about this unseen world, this reality, that we, that we, we long to look into it. C.S. Lewis and other philosophers call this the numinous. It's the, this, this draw inside of us for something outside of ourselves that we can't necessarily perceive with our five senses. And I believe the reason that we're fascinated is because deep down, we know there's more to life than meets the eye. We know there's more to life than meets the eye. You say, okay, well, that's an opinion. Let's look into the scriptures here. The Apostle Paul, writing thousands of years ago to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, he says, a final word, be strong in the Lord 
and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. Now listen to what he says, because in the next part here, he goes in and he describes a completely different reality that's existing alongside of and underneath and around the world that you and I live in and operate in on a daily basis. He says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. And he goes on to talk about the armor of God. And I'll I'll read that in just a few minutes. But I want to just stop here and say this. There is more to life than meets the eye. And hopefully you you came to church today and you were like, man, I was hoping to get encouraged. Now I'm just getting totally freaked out because he's talking about demons and ghosts and Bigfoot and aliens and all this stuff. Well, no, I'm not necessarily talking about that stuff. What I'm talking about is what the scripture says, what Paul is drawing attention to. He's saying, listen, you're going to get caught up in life about wanting to fight the person that's sitting next to you, wanting to fight the Democrats or the Republicans. You voted for her. You voted for him. Oh my God. Everybody pulls out knives and goes after each other. Anybody else live in this country? We're going to get caught up in the, 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 they cut me off on the road and we're going to get caught up thinking that our battle, that our fight, that, that where we can make a difference is in this flesh and blood tangible reality that it's me versus them and so on and so forth. It's those people, these people, it's the class warfare, it's the rich, the poor, it's the black, the white, it's this, it's that. No, Paul's saying, listen, no, no, you're not understanding. There's more to life than meets the eye. The real battle, the actual place where this stuff is being shaped and formed and all this stuff is in this unseen realm. He's saying, listen, there's there's spiritual forces. You are, you are in a war that's taking place all around you for the hearts and minds, affection, attention, and worship of every human being created in the image of God. This is taking place and your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against these spiritual powers. So what, what does this mean for us? Well, what I want to say to you today is that don't let your eyes be deceived and clouded thinking that all that you can touch, taste, see, so on and so forth with your tangible senses is all that there is. No, there's more to life than meets the eye. There is a spiritual world and we can get tricked and distracted into only dealing with one level of reality. Now, I want to say something to you right now that you might think, well, uh, I don't really believe in this kind of stuff and sounds like hocus pocus and whatever. So I'm just going to blow it off and I'm going to, you know, skip out of here or whatever. And I'll just kind of ignore the spiritual reality. And if I ignore it, if I just say, nah, it doesn't exist and it can't affect me, it doesn't, doesn't have an impact on me. And that's ridiculous, isn't it? Because if what the Apostle Paul is saying here in the scripture is accurate, then there is a spiritual war. There is a spiritual world and it impacts you and affects you and you impact and affect it regardless of whether you accept that or not. It's kind of like the law. Did you know that if you get a speeding ticket and you tell the officer, well, I didn't know what the speed limit was, that they'll still give you the speeding ticket? (laughs) What? I actually have a friend, I'm really closely related to him. He's an awesome guy who got a speeding ticket recently. It was me. And uh, (laughs) when the officer pulled me over, he said, sir, was there a reason for your accelerated rate of travel? (laughs) Yes, I wanted to get there faster, right? (laughs) I've never gotten out of a ticket. I have the most guilty complex when sitting there. When they pull me over to come up to the window and they're like, you did it. We know you did it. So I get pulled over. I didn't tell the officer, well, I didn't know the speed limit. You know what he would say? So what? The law is the law, regardless of whether you know it or not. 
If reality functions in this way and there's a spiritual battle, a spiritual world operating all around us, it doesn't matter whether you accept it or believe in it or not, it's still gonna influence you. It's still gonna impact you and you are still going to influence it by what you do in the natural. Let me give you one more illustration about this. You ever get the flu or like me right now fighting a summer cold? You know what I don't do? When I'm dealing with germ warfare, I don't slap myself in the face. Get out, congestion. Runny nose, be gone. And hit myself in the head. Well, my head hurts. That's where the bad stuff is. So if I fight against it, we, we, we'd look at me and be like, sir, do you have a problem, sir? Can we help you, sir? When you get the flu, you don't punch yourself in the stomach. Why? Because you can't, that's not where the real battle is taking place. It's internal, right? That's not where the real battle is. And when we, sometimes in life, we get so fixated on the flesh and blood reality and we're throwing punches, we're, we're fighting against flesh and blood, or we're trying to change things. Well, if I lose five pounds, I'll be happy. My husband will be, he'll come back to me. If I, if I get with this woman, then it'll make everything better. And we think flesh and blood solves the problem, and it doesn't solve the problem. Come on, somebody, we're fighting in the wrong spot. We're throwing punches at our stomach trying to cure the flu. There's a spiritual battle taking place, and we need to engage with that reality. There's more to life than meets the eye. Let me leave you with a thought about this. Oftentimes when Christian people, well-meaning, hear teaching about spiritual things, oftentimes we take that and we, we think like being spiritual means being more kooky, right? Like, well, since we're talking about spiritual things, I will start reading the Bible with a British accent. No, we, we think that spiritual means being kooky, but it doesn't. In fact, if you think about the nature of the spiritual world, it is outside of the realm of the tangible. Therefore, it doesn't necessarily going to manifest always in a tangible way. This morning when we were worshiping, I really felt like I was supposed to come up and just let, keep us in that, in that moment of worship, in that place, because I felt like God was really moving and wanted to encourage people that we were not to just move out of that place of worship. Well, what was happening right there? Did I feel something? Did my spine tingle? No, it was an impression in my spirit. It wasn't a physical sensation. It wasn't tangible at all. You could be here today in this message and hearing these words and you don't get like electrocuted by the Holy Spirit. That doesn't mean that God didn't do something significant. Do you see what I'm saying? And so often when we take these teachings about the spiritual world, we try to, to interpret it through a wrong lens. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't underestimate the small natural actions, how, how great of an impact they have in the spiritual. Did you know when you make a decision to be kind, in the face of unkindness that you are engaging in spiritual warfare? Well, no, I just decided to be kind to that person who was being unkind to me. Yeah, you actually were engaging in spiritual warfare because you were affecting the unseen realm around you. Come on. Jesus talks about that we, we pray in the Lord's Prayer, God, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, as God's will and ways are done, his kingdom is established in the heavenly we want to be emissaries, ambassadors, like where all around us, God's kingdom is established. The small things you do, when you decide to get up in the morning and just go ahead and get down by your bed and pray for a few minutes and just pray for your day and say, God, would you show me your will? God, would you, would you bless my, my family? God, would you show me the person that I'm supposed to talk to? You say, well, that didn't really matter. It didn't do anything. It was just a small thing. Yes, but it has a big impact in the unseen world. When you give, when you open up your heart to be generous, when you, all these types of things, these small obediences, these small moments that we don't see the impact they're having, but if your eyes could be opened 
into the unseen realm, we would see that what we choose to do as followers of Christ, even the small things make a big difference in the heavenly realm, in the spiritual world. The most extraordinary spiritual warfare takes place in the most seemingly ordinary natural actions, which is why we really encourage people, not just from a place of religion, but a place of spiritual discipline as an act of spiritual warfare, be committed to come to church on Sundays. When you show up on church, at church on Sundays, you're, you're engaging in spiritual warfare. You're, you're telling the forces of darkness, this is my team. This is who I belong to. This is where I'm supporting. This is where my allegiance is at. Come on, there's powerful things. When we give, when we pray, when we read our Bible, when we get in the word on a daily basis, we're engaging in spiritual warfare, yet we miss it, don't we? We like to think it's all this kooky thing. Well, spiritual people, they have their head in the clouds. Not necessarily the deepest spiritual people, the most spiritually connected and spiritually effective people are very, very naturally disciplined. Come on, somebody. In the fundamentals, in the small things, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's more to life than meets the eye. The Apostle Paul goes on, and I know we got to hurry because, my goodness, the other churches are going to beat us to the restaurants if we don't go faster. Paul says, therefore, because of what I just said, because of this spiritual reality, he says, put on every piece of God's armor. So you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth, the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so you'll be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The apostle Paul encourages us to put on the armor of God. Now I want to just say something very quickly about the armor of God. When I was... Younger, I'd hear messages about the armor of God and well-meaning Christians and pastors, they'd teach these messages. Okay, you wake up in the morning and then you pray and you say, Jesus, I just put on the helmet of salvation. Lord Jesus, I just put on the breastplate of righteousness. You don't have to say it like that, but that's how I prayed it. And then, you know, God, I put on the belt of truth. If you're a man, you pray a belt of truth. Right there. So I would like go through this, this kind of like action of putting on the armor of God. But this is not what the Apostle Paul is actually talking about. He's not saying like, hey, pray a little prayer and just say, I'm putting on the belt of truth. What he's talking about is that when truth, when righteousness, when salvation is present in your life, actually, that is what the armor of God is. You will be armored and equipped and prepared in this spiritual battle that you are a part of, this spiritual war that you're walking in all the time when these things are present. So let me just tell you right now, Christians, don't get up in the morning and pray, hey, I'm putting on the belt of truth and then go lie through your teeth the rest of the day. You don't have the belt of truth on. Your belt fell off the minute you started lying through your teeth. Come on, somebody. Well, I put on the helmet of salvation. Well, what does that mean? It means that you have a complete trust that you trust in the righteousness of God exhibited through the sacrifice of Jesus at the cross and not in your own goodness or whatever, qualifications before God, are you actually saved? That's the helmet of salvation, not like praying a little prayer. I put on the helmet of salvation, but I don't trust in Jesus. You're not under the armor. Come on, somebody. When you put on the, the body armor of God's righteousness, and yet you go and live in a life of habitual sin, you're not wearing the armor of God. You're not wearing righteousness. Just because you prayed a prayer, that's called like more like Harry Potter incantation magic stuff. You cast a spell. You didn't do anything really effectually spiritually. Come on, I'm preaching good right now. I wish I had more time to go on this because this is good stuff. If I say so myself, which I am right now. We think, well, I'll just pray this prayer. I'll, I'll put on the shoes of peace. 
the preparation of the gospel of peace. No, it's not putting something on. It doesn't actually correspond to some part of your body. The Apostle Paul is saying, if these things are present in your life, if you've connected with these and believed in them, then, then that armor is there in the spiritual world. We talk about last week's faith. The Apostle Paul t- teaches us about the shield of faith that stops those fiery arrows that the enemy is firing at us all the time. Last week, I talked about faith, that faith is an unshakable confidence that God has your best interest at heart. That even in the midst of what would appear to be contrary or contradictory evidence and circumstances that you continue to place your trust in God and believe in him, even in the midst of that. And when you have that faith, you have a shield up. But when you allow the the doubt and the deception and unbelief to to cloud your mind and, and you dwell on it and you believe in it and you hold on to those things and you don't have your faith in God, your shield is not up just because you said, I take up the shield of faith. How many of you, you're like, okay, that's helping me a little bit today. See, sometimes I think a lot of Christians are walking in, and even un, and the people that aren't Christians, they walk in all this bondage and brokenness and they get beat up all the time in this spiritual battle because they think if I say a little prayer in the morning, I'm wearing the armor of God. No, you got to connect with these realities in your life and embrace them. You want to wear the belt of truth? You got to be a person of truth. You want to wear the righteousness of God as a breastplate, as the body armor? You got to walk in some righteousness and connect with God and his plan for your life. Let's move on. Are you with me? The last thing I'll say right here is this. The last one he talks about is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want to ask you a question as a Christian. Are you armed and dangerous? Is the word of God inside of you? Holding the sword of the spirit is not holding up your Bible and waving it around. Your Bible, just waving it around is words on paper. Your Bible, when, it, when, when you read the scriptures and God's word begins to get inside of you and you begin to obey and live it out, it turns into the sword of the spirit. And a lot of Christians are like, I'm waving my Bible at demons. And so they're running away. No, they're not. They're laughing at you. You might as well wave the dictionary at them. I might offend some people today. But if you think that the power is because of the, the paper or the, the leather or the fact that it has a fish or a cross or a dove on it and your name embossed in gold, That doesn't have any power. You know what has power? The word inside of you. Come on, the word of God that you know that has filled you from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, that you begin to believe it. You've received it. You begin to live your life according to what God's word says. And that's when you get a big fat sword and you walk around into the room and demons are like, oh my, we're gonna step back. Come on, somebody. All right, moving on. The apostle Paul finishes up this passage of scripture He says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. What I want to leave you with today is that we need a prayer life, a life of prayer, a daily habit of engaging with God and believing that there's a spiritual reality, that wearing the armor of God is not just like some kind of incantation that we just do something, but an actual life of prayer where we say, God, I'm going to connect with you on a daily basis, a daily habit and a discipline, which is a reflection of the fact that we believe what God's word says, that there's a spiritual world. That's where the battle is at. Come on. Let me just tell you, I love our church. We do great stuff. We send out mailers. We, we do videos and Facebook and TV. We, we just did a movie in the park. It was a blast. We invite people. But let me tell you what will hold us back. The ceiling upon our church will not be something in the natural, it will be, are we or are we not a church that prays? 
Do we engage the real battle? Because see, we're doing stuff in the flesh and the blood and that's great. Come on, we love having donuts and coffee and being nice to people. Come on, how many of you like that? But we as a church have to become a church that prays. Come on, that has a, a habit of getting on our hands and knees and seeking God. The apostle Paul tells us to pray in the spirit. Come on, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Every Sunday, uh, first Sunday of the month, I pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm talking about God giving you your heavenly language where you can pray in tongues. And the Apostle Paul says, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. Come on, somebody. There's a real spiritual world. You need to get filled with God's Spirit. Be baptized in the Spirit. The Apostle says, pray in the Spirit at all times. On every occasion, he says, stay alert. Come on, there's something about prayer where we've got our eyes open. I get clouded so often thinking it's flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood, flesh and blood. That's the battle. It's this, it's that. No, I need to open my eyes and say, you know what? There's actually something taking place that I can't see. And I'm going to engage this in the place of prayer, not just getting all, uh, you know, dressed up with nowhere to go in the natural. You know what I'm talking about? Fighting that battle in the flesh. No, I'm going to pray in the spirit. I'm going to engage in prayer. Be alert, be persistent in prayer. He leaves us with this. Be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. How many of you think that things would be, be so great if we were a church that didn't just pray for our city or pray for people in other places, but we prayed for one another? How many of you would say like me, I could actually use some prayer in my life. And wouldn't it be great if you knew that your brothers and sisters in this place were praying for you, praying for you to win the battles that you're fighting, praying for you to overcome the enemy in your life, praying for you to have a strong marriage and for your kids to love God and praying for you to be blessed. What if instead of talking about each other, we prayed for each other? What if when you heard something about somebody in the church, you didn't say, hey, did you hear what this person did? But you just got on your hands and knees and you didn't call other people on a prayer chain, which is just gossip. You... You actually just like took it to, to God in prayer and said, Lord, I just want to lift this person up to you and pray for them right now. I know that they're fighting a spiritual battle. God, I don't see everything that's there, but I, I lift them up. I pray for them right now. Come on, if we become a praying church, we're an unstoppable church. Let me say that one more time. If we become a praying church, we're unstoppable. If you become a praying Christian, you're unstoppable because you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're fighting the real battle against the spirits and powers in the heavenly places. There's an unseen world.